fundraising to end MS forever. Together, we can change the world for people with MS. Join us. Register today. Start a team and raise funds at walkms.org. Live from the Old National Bank State Street Studio, across from the historic Chicago Theater, you are listening to Carmen and Yurko on the new home of the Chicago Bears, ESPN Chicago. This is WMVP WSHE HD2 Chicago, a good Karma Brands radio station. Happy Black Friday to you. Hope you're enjoying this day. Hopefully you have off. If you do not, if you're out and about working perhaps, maybe you're a delivery person. Glad you could join us today. I'm there with you to working today on Black Friday, but happy you're with us today. I'm Jeff Meller in for Carmen and Yurko today. Boys taking the day off. Much, much earned day off Black Friday. And I feel as though... I have both the easiest and hardest job. And let me tell you what I mean. The Wednesday before Thanksgiving is annually the one day on the radio calendar when Yurko drives the show. And for folks out there, Radio 101, driving is the person who, when hosting with two or more people, takes the show in and out of break. They kind of set the table for you. Like, later today, 12.35, Sam Panionovich is going to be joining us to talk a little bit about gambling, help you make your picks for the weekend. 1.30, Courtney Cronin on the Bears Beat is going to join us as well. We'll cross-talk with Tyler Aki and Jesse Rogers around 2 o'clock. That's driving. That's Radio 101. So, Yurko does that one day a year on Wednesday, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and it is an absolute phenomenal experience and what i say why i say it's the easiest and hardest is because yurko is by no means a even though he's been in the industry for a long long time he he will freely admit that driving a radio show is not his forte in fact he admitted at eleven fifty seven on wednesday before the show began to carmen he was exhausted he was mentally exhausted with what he was going through trying to build up and get ready for dr- the driving of the show. So following that is not extremely difficult. However, anybody who listens to Carmen and Yerko knows that me, Jeff Meller, a mere mortal, has very little chance of not exceeding is not even possible, but just coming anywhere near the level of entertainment that the god of entertainment Yerko is presents when he is driving is not going to be attainable. So I'm throwing that out there. That's why I feel like, Kevin Jack, this is both the easiest and hardest job one can do is following Yerko driving the show on Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I, I caught the, the end of the show on Wednesday because I was at uh, Hallis with, uh, with Sylvie. Mm-hmm. So I heard the end of, of Carmen and Yerko. And see, I've only been working here for about six months. Mm-hmm. I was so confused <laughs> as to what the hell was going on. 
Yeah. I, I, I thought somebody was like playing a trick on me personally. The, the main topics of the show were catfishing mm-hmm. when, when people are getting scammed. As one would um, expect it to be. College basketball, random college basketball games. And well, you, you know what, Jack, it's a good point. You, nothing wrong with a little college basketball no, talk, but generally you do not get it. In the midst of a uh, football season. No, especially the day before Thanksgiving. And, yeah, those, those were about the two main topics. There was some football in there. I'll, I'll give you that, too. So, so yes, that was uh, Yurko at the wheel on Wednesday. And I will do my best to keep people entertained if they're out and about doing their shopping. If you got your earbuds in and you're listening to the ESPN Chicago app, we appreciate it. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening all these years. Or if you're a new listener, thanks for picking us up as well. Uh, but uh, I'll do my best to try and come anywhere close within Yerko's vicinity, even though I know I will fa- fail miserably. But as Kevin mentioned, he caught the end of it. So if you did miss some of Wednesday's show, don't worry, I have you covered. We've put together a best of Yerko driving the show montage for a little bit later in the show that I will let you hear so that you don't miss the whole experience that is Yerko driving the show. And in the meantime, before we get to that, I will uh, try and keep you entertained in the meantime. All right, so Thanksgiving Day, three full games. I remember way back when there were only two before they brought the third night game. And that should have been, I mean, you know, it was always an indication that the NFL, above all else, probably has world domination on their minds, if you really if you really think about it, that's that's the only goal they truly have have in place. They they own Sunday. They've made Monday pretty much Monday night is theirs. Um, Thursday night it's been rocky, but people begrudgingly watch it. And now today, Black Friday, they enter their first foray into Friday afternoon football as the Miami Dolphins. They're always fun and interesting to watch. We'll take on the New York Jets, who clearly have not hit that threshold that a lot of people were hoping they would be in terms of interest level once Aaron Rodgers was lost for, I guess, what people, most people initially believed was the season on the second play of the season. Now, Aaron Rodgers clearly is trying to sh- throw out that he might be able to return. We shall see. But nevertheless... The Zach Wilson experience was so bad that today the New York Jets will turn to Tim Boyle. And that game is going to be available for folks on Amazon Prime. So we'll touch on that a little bit later as well. But before we get into previewing that, I do want to talk about yesterday's games and how it relates in particular to the Bears here in Chicago. Started things off with the Packers jumping out on top of the Lions. And this is one of those, this is why you love the NFL. And it's also why I think if you watch the league with above a child's intellect, you can recognize or you should recognize by now that what you think is going to happen is not the way it's always going to play out. And that's what makes it fun and interesting. The Packers jump out early on the Lions and honestly... Jared Goff really never found his rhythm, even though the stats look pretty good from a fantasy perspective. Ultimately, the fumbles that he lost inside the inside the pocket. Rashawn Gary was was a monster with three sacks yesterday. Um, The turnovers they created really put the Lions in a hole, similarly to what we saw when the Bears put the Lions in a hole last Sunday. However, the Lions, the Packers didn't wilt and allow the Lions back into that one. So 
what ultimately does this mean? Look, the Lions are still a good team. They're still playoff bound. But their, their pursuit of home field advantage took a huge hit yesterday because they were already trailing the Eagles, who only have one loss right now. And now that the Lions fall back to 8-3, and three, it's very difficult to see a path forward to the Lions having home field advantage and a bye. And ultimately, I think that's the only shot the Lions had if they were truly going to make a run as the NFC representative in the Super Bowl this year. Now, I don't think the Eagles are necessarily the best team in the NFC, despite their 9-1 record. I think the best team in the NFC is the one that put a thrashing on the Seahawks late last night, and that is the San Francisco 49ers. Niners went into Seattle, and on Thanksgiving, really with Geno Smith dealing with his own elbow injury, it, I know there was a moment there when, in the third quarter, the Seahawks returned a interception for a touchdown. All of a sudden, it was 24-10, to 10, and Chris Collinsworth was trying to squint and sell us the fact that this one could be a game. You never know. And then the 49ers just took the ball right back down eventually, punched it in with a Brandon Ayuk score, and pretty much the game was over at that point. The stark thing that stood out to me was if you hung on and watched that game to the end last night, you would have seen Melissa Stark interviewing all the stars of the game last night for the 49ers. She was surrounded by uh, their defensive back, Ward, um, you, saw, you had Debo Samuel, you had Nick Bosa, you had Brock Purdy, you had Christian McCaffrey, you had Fred Warner, and you had George Kittle, all surrounding Melissa Stark with the turkey that NBC had prepared so that uh, the 49ers could dive in and continue on the tradition that John Madden started so many years ago, rewarding the stars of the Thanksgiving Day game with a feast that they could enjoy. And of all the names that I ripped off there, I did not even mention Brandon Ayuk, who again scored the game-sealing touchdown. I did not mention Trent Williams, who many people regard as probably the best left tackle in football. I didn't mention Chase Young, who the 49ers just traded for on the same day when the Bears traded for Montez Sweat. I haven't mentioned Javon Hargrave, who had a, a, a sack and was uh, a, a, who is an instrumental piece on the 49ers defensive line. I did not mention Javon Kinlaw, who is a, also a rotational piece for the Niners. Um, Eric Armstead, also Drake Greenlaw. So what I'm trying to say is that despite the fact that the 49ers had seven stud players surrounding the turkey on NBC last night after their victory over the Seahawks, we were still missing some elite-level players on that roster. And that is why I think as long as the 49ers can stay relatively healthy, they, were, they will be the representative for the NFC. Assuming, of course, that you disregard what I said at the start of the segment and assume you know everything about football, like we all do, anyone who gets on the radio and speaks for a living. Nevertheless, we'll put that to the side. I do think the 49ers are the best team in the NFC, and they're doing it with Brock Purdy as their quarterback. 
And this is where we always get back to the quarterback conversation. Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. How good is he? How good does he need to be? Truth be told, Robbie Gold, who was frequently a guest with Waddle and Sylvie during the summer here, uh, hosted several shows during the summer, mentioned, I was, you know, he was in a meeting and he mentioned to us several times the 49ers when they were meeting the Eagles in the NFC Championship game last year. Kyle Shanahan from Robbie Gold's mouth, was absolutely convinced they were going to beat the Eagles in the NFC Championship game last year. And unfortunately, it was the Brock Purdy injury and then subsequently the Josh Johnson injury But after that, which left them quarterback less, which ultimately resulted in a rule change this offseason for the NFL that really hindered the 49ers in the, in the NFC Championship game. So... What we saw on display last night, on the road, by the way, against a divisional rival in a tough spot, the 49ers were able to handle their business. So as long as they remain healthy, I think they are the class of the NFC. How do you get to a point where, if you're the Bears, you're building this roster, how do you get to the point where you can compete with that roster? In my opinion, you're best served, if you can, move forward with Justin Fields if he can continue to play the way he has over the three of the last four starts that he's had. Now, the Vikings start where he was injured, and it was a bad game, and it was going poorly. The good news is, for anybody out there, we get an opportunity this Monday night where you can hear the Bears, of course, on your home of the Bears, ESPN Chicago, you get it, we get a chance to see what Justin Fields actually was able to learn and if he can apply it on Monday Night Football in the rematch against Brian Flores' blitz-happy defense. I am very excited to see what Justin Fields can replicate. Now, you know, we've talked a lot this week about the Lions game, the debacle that was, how the Bears found... An, ins, uh, an almost impossible way of losing that one. And that's a black mark on Matt Eberflus's resume that I think is going to be very difficult to white out over. In fact, it might be damn near impossible when all is said and done. The path forward for him, the, the Bears really probably realistically need to win out if Matt Eberflus is going to retain his job. But that's neither here nor there. The larger question is, Is Ryan Poles going to remain on the job to make the next first-round pick for the Bears? Or will there be somebody else in charge? Albert Breer, NFL insider, who you hear with Cap and Jay Hood every Tuesday at 8.30, mentioned something on Wednesday in his NFL mailbag that sent a lot of people's antennas up. I'll share that with you coming up next. You're listening to Carmen and Yurko on Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago. Football, horse racing, burgers, beer, and so much more. Have a winning weekend at newly remodeled Club Hawthorne Betting Bars featuring cash betting at PointsBet Sportsbooks. Find a location near you at HawthorneBettingBars.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER to get help. You're listening to Carmen and Yurko. 
Listen to us now. Live on the ESPN Chicago app. Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. Jeff Meller hanging out with you in for Carmen York today here on Black Friday. Will we get news of a huge splurge in Major League Baseball? Could there be some Shohei Otani news? Some rumors circulating that today could perhaps be the day. I guarantee you there will be no huge discount, though, for Shohei Otani if we do get news We're monitoring that situation. If anything does break regarding Shohei Otani, we will let you know as soon as it does. And, of course, Jesse Rogers will be up with Tyler Aki at 2 o'clock, so I'm sure he will have some thoughts as well. Talk a little bit about the Cubs offseason plans a little bit later, maybe around 12.50 in this hour as well. I'm Jeff Meller, again, in for Carmen York, 312-332-3776 if you want to jump on in and talk some football with me right now. Sam Panianovich is going to join us uh, in about... 12 minutes from now and give us the best plays of the weekend it is rivalry week as well so uh the game tomorrow between ohio state and michigan i'll pick his brain on that one um and of course several nfl games still to go as well including today's black friday showdown with tim boyle of all people at the helm for the new york jets i'm sure that's not exactly what the nfl was hoping for when or you know what Let me rephrase. I'm sure that's not exactly what Amazon was hoping for when they broke the bank and paid $100 million for this Black Friday game. So uh, I'm sure they're not super excited about that. But nevertheless, the Dolphins are a fun watch if you're just a person without any real rooting interest. They're a fun team to watch. We'll see how they match up against that Jets defense. That will be interesting, at least to me. And something I want to talk about as well, hard knocks in season. The Dolphins are the team that HBO is focusing on. And the first episode was on Tuesday. And a lot of interesting stuff watching Mike McDaniel, watching Tua, watching Tyreek Hill. So I'll share some of that with you as well before we get out of here today. Let's uh, try Matt, though, who's in Streamwood, wants to talk a little bit about yesterday's games. What's going on, Matt? Hey, Miller. Thanks for taking my phone call. And I hope you had a great holiday. May Uh I ask you? Regarding the, the, the Lions and Packers game yesterday, the Lions got the ball back with about 245, a little bit more than what they had for when they, the Bears gave the ball back to them mm-hmm. when they were down two scores. And it just seemed like there was no sense of urgency on the Lions to get down the field. You know, they still had three timeouts and a two-minute warning. So there was, like, no attempt. They were doing, like, a four-yard passes, and then they made the receivers run to the sidelines, which they couldn't get out. So I don't understand if that was Dan Campbell or Ben John or or if just so, if Jared Goff is scaring them, so and, and that you're talking about that's when they ultimately scored that their final touchdown right on that drive. Yeah, but it was like you're they right. got they, they got the ball back at like two forty five. They still had the two minute warning. And they still had full complement of timeouts, but it just seemed like there was no sense of like they could, they were still in it. They could have scored right after the two minute warning. Like mm-hmm. I, I understand they didn't. It was, it was like it took like the Packers were not going into prevent defense like Matt Eberflus. Like they were making it hard on Jared Goff, but I just don't understand. Like there was no sense of urgency to, to use the sidelines or even push mm-hmm. the ball downfield before the two minute warning. And then when they finally did score Miller, like with 45 seconds left, like Dan well, yeah. Campbell was still down nine. He goes for the two point conversion. I'm like, 
if you didn't make it, then you're not going to, you're not, you're still down two scores. So I don't understand why you would go for the two point conversion just to, just, uh, it just was weird for me for him. But it just seemed like they resigned to their fate. Like there was no sense of urgency for them to even try to get back into the game. They still were in it, but just didn't seem like something was there. Something was off. Yeah. Um, the, it was interesting because they came into the game at eight and two, right? And for the most part, if you've watched a lot of the Lions, they've been, you know, really good all year long and Dan Campbell's aggressive nature has really served them well and yesterday I don't know if perhaps it was you know it, it actually came back to bite him in the ass with the, the the fake punt and that was something that actually uh Dan Campbell owned up to later in uh after the game he mentioned how it was not a good decision by him yeah look that's a bad call on me it's a bad call you know I shouldn't have done that to those guys it's a bad call it's a bad call on me. It is. Shouldn't have done that. Just owned it there. And so I wonder, this is where it's impossible to know the truth, right? But did, did, did him regretting that play as the game unfolded in any way distract him? I don't know. You know, and, and it, you, it could be exactly what you pointed out, Matt. It could be the fact that the Packers defensively were, going, were doing what, a proper prevent defense is there to do, right? Give you short completions, keep you in bounds, keep the clock ticking, and use that as your ally as opposed to, you know, allowing teams to hit huge chunk plays. Maybe maybe that's part of why Jared Goff just took what was right in front of him. And ultimately, you know, if they go out and they recover the onside kick, they've got a crack at it. But I'm with you. I, you know, this is, and I'll freely admit to, the Lions game, and, and I don't know how it is for other people, I did not watch it as closely as you. I was I had it on, but it's Thanksgiving, right? And so in the fourth quarter, I was at my in-law's house. I'm watching the game as closely as possible, but without ignoring my family, Matt. So I'm not going to pretend like I can give you, you know, great analysis as to their timeout usage, but... Uh, it's one of those things where other people may have a better sense of what they should have been doing. I see Jack McGrath, who's producing. What's- well, it, all, it almost felt like towards the end of the game there that Campbell was thinking, if I have these timeouts in my pocket, we don't get the onside kick. Still gives them, because they had all three timeouts mm-hmm. with about a minute and a half yeah. left, where he could burn the timeouts and still rely on his defense to maybe get one more last-second possession Hail Mary attempt if the Packers did get the ball back after the onside kick. So that's why I thought he kind of held them in his pocket, but then once he realized he was going to burn the clock out on that offensive possession, then he started burning them, is what I felt like. Yeah, that's one of those, it's it's very difficult to kind of like, like, you know, armchair it from, and again, I I would have been watching much closer. Again, I watched pretty closely, but I'm not going to lie, at that moment I was kind of, I was, uh, I was uh, helping with mix the mac and, mac and cheese with the uh, with the uh, the my sister in law, so I was a little bit distracted. So I apologize for not having a, a great uh, strategic breakdown there for you, Matt. Um, so that's on me. I apologize. Nevertheless, uh, it's one of those things where I think the what I played for you there, Dan Campbell, with the fake punt. That was the one where it really felt like that one is the moment when the game. M- kind of got out of reach for the Lions, right? And it's tough because their aggressive nature has really benefited them all season long. So I know in the in the press conference after the game, he 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 admits like bad call by me. I guess was it only a bad call because they failed to convert? I don't you know, I don't necessarily love 
when a coach will hey, listen. Do you really mean it? I guess because we've seen we've heard Matt Eberflus quite frequently go to the podium, and if he he doesn't really take responsibility, he he says he he takes responsibility, but then also says. Players need to make plays. Coaches need to coach and put them in position. And if they don't make the plays, then we haven't coached it properly. It's all about execution. And, yeah, the truth is that I don't know when you tell me that, like, if the players haven't made the play, then we haven't coached properly. I, that's not really an answer um, that aligns with how I think you can get better. And that's to, to the point I said earlier about Matt Eberflus. I don't see a path forward with him unless – he wins out here. And even if he does, based on what I've seen so far, I'd be very reluctant to want to have him come back, even if the Bears won out. Because that would be concerning to me if you bring him back at this stage. I've seen enough. I don't believe he's going to be the guy who leads you to multiple playoffs going forward, multiple playoff runs, or a deep playoff run if even for the first time. I, I, I can't envision that scenario. Things would have to change so dramatically behind comprehension that I can't even consider that. I mentioned Albert Breer dropped a bit of a doozy on Wednesday in his mailbag video that he does for Sports Illustrated. He was asked specifically about Matt Eberflus's future, and then he also brought Ryan Poles into the conversation. I think right now it's trending towards Eberflus not being back. Um, and I think in, that in part is due to Kevin Warren's influence in the organization. Remember, Kevin Warren came in after being the commissioner of the Big Ten. He did not hire Ryan Poles. He did not hire Matt Eberflus. I think he is motivated to see what he can do with his own guys in there. I've also heard Kevin Warren wants to be a little bit more involved on the football side, so that could influence the decision-making there. So we played that late Wednesday during Waddle and Sylvie. And there was a debate about, does that mean that Ryan Poles is also on the hot seat? And I'll play it for you one more time so you can listen in particular to when Ryan, to when Albert Breer references Ryan Poles. And listen to him say, I think Kevin Warren wants his guys. I think right now it's trending towards Eberflus not being back. Um, and I think that in part is due to... Kevin Warren's influence in the organization. Remember, Kevin Warren came in after being the commissioner of the Big Ten. He did not hire Ryan Poles. He did not hire Matt Eberflus. I think he is motivated to see what he can do with his own guys in there. I've also heard Kevin Warren wants to be a little bit more involved on the football side, so that could influence the decision-making there. So, listen, I'm not going to say that Albert Breer is telling us there that Ryan Poles will be gone, but I think... You have to ask the question, based on the way Albert Breer just said that, can Ryan Poles make up and become one of Kevin Warren's guys? Now, by all accounts, they have a, a great working relationship. But we don't know enough about Kevin Warren and his tenure here in Chicago has not, honestly, as he looks at this season, you know, there's very little of his fingerprints on this current Bears season. Sure, He's the man in charge. He took over in April, but everything was, for the most part, already in place. So as this plays out and he continues to evaluate, you know, I don't think he's thinking about thinking about this necessarily as something that he has responsibility for. Going forward, every year after that, I think he'd more than willingly say that, you know, ultimately the buck will stop with him. 
But this season, I believe, for Kevin Warren, is all about evaluation, not just of the roster and of the the current coaching staff, but also Ryan Poles. And I think Breer leaves himself some wiggle room, the way he said it, for Poles to be retained. In that scenario, you could you could easily see in January or February if they let Matt Eberflus go because the season's continued on this track. You could easily see a scenario where the insiders are saying Ryan Poles has earned Kevin Warren's trust and Kevin Warren likes his, you know, they had the wrong fit at head coach and moving forward, they think they will be able to work together. And that's perfectly reasonable, but I could also see it going the other way where after you've, you look at the moves that Ryan Poles has made, it was a good trade to trade out of the number one overall pick when you were still eva- evaluating Justin Fields. It made sense. All the sense in the world, especially because there was enough questions surrounding Bryce Young where you didn't feel comfortable proclaiming him the guy for the future. So that made sense. But the trade has worked out really well. But I don't know how much credit Ryan Polish should get for the Panthers being awful, right? He did a good job get, you know, demanding DJ Moore. But if he, did, he we also heard that he was willing to take either Brian Burns, Derek Brown, or DJ Moore in that deal. One of those three along with the picks that he received back. So would everybody feel exactly the same had the Bears gotten Burns instead? I don't know. Burns has been banged up this year. He hasn't played as much. They probably don't make the Montez sweat trade if they had Brian Burns, but they're still probably sorely lacking a wide receiver at that point. You know, there's a lot of what ifs. I don't know if Ryan Poles will be back, but I think... Hearing Albert Breer say that, I have he's given me enough where I can see the scenario where he won't be coming back at the end of the season. It really depends on how this season plays out over the last six. A lot to talk about. Up next, Sam Panianovich joins me. He will give us the best plays of the weekend. We'll go over the NFL slate and also get you set for the game between Michigan and Ohio State as well. All that coming up on Carmen and Yerko. You're listening to Carmen and Yurko. Follow the show on Twitter at Carmen DeFalco and at Yurko64. This is ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. Hanging out with you on Black Friday, I'm Jeff Meller, in for Carmen Yurko. Normally on a Friday, Carmen Yurk will get you set for the weekend with a gambling expert. But of course, they take their day off here, which gives me free reigns to do as I please. And normally during this time, every Friday, basically exactly at this time on Fridays, I am in the midst of recording a fantasy football hit for ABC7's overtime streaming show with Dion Miller and Ryan Cheverini. And as I do that, right before I do my fantasy hit, Sam Panianovich does a gambling hit with Ryan and Dion. Now, the show is on a little bit of a hiatus because of the holidays, so of course, not recording the show today, which gave me the idea, you know what? 
Sam usually is getting his picks ready anyway. Why don't I bring him on to ESPN 1000 and pick his brain for the weekend slate as we get get it set right here on the Carmen and Yurko show. So that's what I decided to do. Sam, what is going on, my man? How you doing? Jeff, good to talk to you. Yeah, we don't take holidays off because we are hardworking Americans. And I appreciate the word expert. Expert is kind. <laughs> But I, I tell you, I am sweating Iowa right now. I don't know if you've seen much of this game. It is the worst game I've watched all season. I have Iowa plus three. They're up ten seven at half. Wow! And they've had two field goals. Shootout. That's already. an Iowa. Sam, that's an Iowa shootout, my friend. <laughs> the total was twenty five. Yes. Um, yeah. Basically, anybody who I ever hear say, "I'm watching Iowa." It's always followed by this is the worst college football I've seen all year. That's basically the way every Iowa game has gone this year. So I'm not surprised, Sam, that you're sweating it out. I'm going to sweat this till the very end, and I will hate myself no matter what. Um, so, all right. So, Sam, how, how was your Thanksgiving, by the way? Did you, how did you do yesterday in the, uh, the, the trio of NFL games? I went one and one, had the Packers plus the points, and then I, I thought I was super sharp. I was going to take all those points with the team <laughs> formerly known as the football team. And, uh, you know, they're down 20 to 10, and you know something's about to happen. And then all of a sudden they're down 30. So took that one on the chin, but I'm, I'm not laying 13 points ever with the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. That ain't happening. No, that's fair. I get it. All right, Sam. So uh, looking ahead at today, all right, we have the first Black Friday game on Prime. The Dolphins go to visit the New York Jets, but Tim Boyle is for some reason under center. And I don't know, what do you make of this game? Do you like the total? Do you like the Dolphins laying a big number here? What's your thoughts, Sam? I don't really love this one. You know, in a contest, I thought about using Jets plus nine and a half, and then I slapped myself in the face and just moved on with my life. You know, this is a low total. I know it's the Jets and they can't score, but this is a low total when you think about a Miami game. I mean, this is the lowest total of Miami season. They're usually totaled in the high 40s, low 50s. I mean, that Chiefs and uh, Dolphins game was 51. This total right now is 40. It just it feels like it's too low with that offense. I know that the Jets are going to get stopped, but Maybe Tim Boyle can can provide somewhat of a spark and get them to 13 points or something like that. Like a a 28-13 final is going to squeak me over. But I don't I don't really love anything. These Thursday and Friday games, man, are so weird and yeah. it, it's tough to find an edge. No, I, I I think you're absolutely right. And then who knows exactly how the whole Tim Boyle scenario plays out. Trevor Simeon, I believe, is the backup for the Jets. I wouldn't be surprised at all if by halftime they're like. He, Tim Boyle can't move the ball. Let's move to Trevor Simeon. So I, I don't know how you bet any any number really feeling comfortable about how this game plays out. All right, before I get to the Sunday games, Bears fans are curious. We've got the Monday night football game against the Vikings in Minnesota. How are you feeling about the Bears heading to Minnesota with Justin Fields having a shot at rede- redemption against Brian Flores' blitz-happy defense? Well, first, since you brought up Trevor Simeon, I have to meow, 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 meow. <laughs> I have to meow anytime that name comes up. Northwestern great, Trevor Simeon. Um, I'll be actually at this game, um, so I will have a bet on it. And I was looking at the splits, the Bajan and Fields splits when it comes to gambling. Did you know that when Justin Fields starts, the Bears only have one loss to the total if you bet the over? 
the, the first five games all went over, 38-20, 27-17, 41-10, 31-28, They did have a dud against Minnesota in the last outing, 19-13. Mm-hmm. And then what do you know? You put him back under center. He happens to find these games over because the pace he plays with is good for the Bears' offense, but it's also good for the opposing offense. Mm-hmm. And he's a, he's a turnover-prone quarterback, so you usually get points. Last week, 31-26, he is just an over-machine. He's one of the best over-quarterbacks in the league, and the Bears have four unders this year. Three of them are with Bajan because they just couldn't move the ball. If it's not broke, I'm not going to try and fix it. This probably won't be all that popular, but this has been a really good bet for me all year. You go over these low numbers when Justin Fields is on the field you can go over 43, and I think that's a pretty decent bet. I like that, too, because uh, it looks like it opened at 44.5, so you've seen the action move in the other direction, so uh, I like that there. Uh, how about the Jaguars and Texans on Sunday? This game's interesting to me because, of course, you had Trevor Lawrence finally play a good game last week, and, of course, everybody is very excited about C.J. Stroud and what the Houston Texans are doing. In fact, if the Texans can find a way to just win this one outright, all of a sudden the AFC South, the standings get very interesting. So how are you looking at this one from a gambling perspective, Sam? This will be one that I tease up. I think it's a, a game that could go either way, but I don't feel like Houston's going to get blown out at home. Obviously, I could be wrong about that. Anything could happen on a football field, despite what some people tell you. I would like Houston a lot more. You can do like a uh, two-team six-point teaser. You could tease the Texans from one-and-a-half to seven-and-a-half, and and then you have to find another team to put in your teaser. This should be a good one back and forth. Let me just say this. If you like Jacksonville, lay them on the money line. Don't lay one-and-a-half because you're going to hate yourself if they win 21-20. to So lay the 125 on the money line. And here's another bet to think about. If you like the Houston Texans, Mm -hmm. you might want to consider little D'Amico Ryan's coach of the year, man. Because this is a guy who is slowly crawling up the board. Dan Campbell coming into this week was the favorite, and they just took it on the chin on Thanksgiving. He's a doofus. I don't, I don't think he's a great coach. They're just a good team. But look at what D'Amico Ryans has done there. I mean, this team picked second and third in the draft this year, and he has them on the cusp of the playoffs. You could find D'Amico Ryans like 3-1 to one to win coach of the year. He's right on line two right now. Mm-hmm. If the Texans win this game, that 3-1 to one evaporates. Yeah, no, I like that. I'm looking through and trying to look at who would be, you know, one of his biggest competitors. And to your point, if if the Lions slide back at all, I suppose maybe, depending on how the Browns end up closing things out. But I, you'd have to have a huge leap of faith to think that uh, they, that Stefanski could get things done, you know, with uh, with Dorian Thompson Robinson under center. So, but outside of that, you're right. If the Texans can continue to win. D'Amico Ryans, I think, has a, he'll be an easy choice for a lot of uh, people to ma- vote him as coach of the year there. Mike McDaniel's on the three line right now, like 5-1. to one. Kevin O'Connell, 9-1. O'Connell, Kirion, yeah. 12-1. Okay, I mean, if they keep winning with Josh Dobbs, sure. But, I mean, right now in Vegas and across the country, it's Dan Campbell on line one and D'Amico Ryan's on line two. And, you know, that Ryan's number was 20-1 to one three weeks ago. Hmm. Now you're lucky to find a 3-1. to one. All right, so how about this game, which I know nobody is super interested in from a winning standpoint, but from a losing standpoint, the Giants and Patriots have a lot to play for. Um, Yeah, it's making a lot of people throw up, and and I think most fan bases 
Um, and maybe the Giants are a little bit different after their win last week. But I think both fan bases are probably rooting for their teams to lose this one in the uh, the two-time Super Bowl matchup rematch between the Patriots and Giants. What? How are you uh, handicapping this one? You know, on the surface, it seems a little light when you think about the, the rock-solid bet that we've done for you know, 10, 15 years now. It's been a staple. Belichick against a young quarterback, especially a kid that hasn't been in the league that long. And you know, Tommy DeVito's only played four games. This number on the look-ahead side of things was New England minus five and a half. Well, Patriots suck. Giants get a win, so it shortens the number. Now we're three and a half. I'll tell you what. I'd lay three and a half before I take three and a half. Uh, I thought I thought the Giants looked good last week, but mm-hmm. with a young quarterback like Devito, you're going to get more D games than A games. You know, I yes. mean, we've watched this league a long time. I, I would bet against him playing well back to back weeks, especially against a Belichick defense. It, look, it's not what it used to be, but still, gun to my head, this is Patriots before Giants. But it's not something that I'm very excited to wager on. Sam Panianovich joining me here on Carmen Yurko. Jeff Meller in for the guys today. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at SP Shoot. Nesson betting experts. I'll give you the expert title, Sam. Don't worry. Um, and then, so, all right, so moving to a couple games here that I know you definitely like. The Bills at the Eagles, the main marquee game Sunday afternoon. What are you thinking of that one? This is Buffalo's season basically the rest of the way because they have sort of put themselves in a hole. You know, they, they didn't play well early in the season. They've been up and down. But I'll tell you what, when they put it together, they are a dangerous team. And I think that's the hesitancy for a lot of people. Well, they're not consistent. My counter is this is the most important game of their season. We're probably going to say that going forward because this is a stretch that starts at Philly, at Kansas City, then the Cowboys. And you really need to get those boys going Philly also, man, off of maybe its most emotional win of the season. I'm not a big emotional handicapper, but when you go into Kansas City, you've been waiting for that game all year. You lost the Super Bowl. Then you go in there, win a game you probably shouldn't have won. You were outgained by 100 yards, and Valdez Scantling drops the game winner. I think the Eagles have been playing with fire all season, and Buffalo with the urgency in this spot, getting only three. Why is it three? Why isn't it four? Why isn't it five? The respect is real for the Bills in this spot. I did bet plus three. How about uh, Sunday Night Football? The Ravens go to L.A. to take on the Chargers in a game that I'm sure is going to have Brandon Staley feeling the heat. Uh, how are you thinking about that one right now? He is the favorite to be the next coach fired, and that honestly, he probably should have been launched a couple weeks ago. I was just talking with a buddy of mine in Vegas who's a, uh, a big bookmaker at the Westgate, and he said that this is their most lopsided game of the weekend. Hmm. Most tickets of any game in the league this week, Baltimore, minus three, three and a half. Yet, we are seeing the number move the other way. This is what we call the reverse line. It's going the other way despite eight out of ten bets on Baltimore. Those two bets out of ten are bigger bets, and they are more influential. So you have the public on the Ravens. You have the Sharps on the Chargers. And as we texted this morning, the line was mostly three and a half. There's a lot of three now, man. Mm. So, so the sharp the sharp money's coming in on the Chargers. If you have a three and a half, go bet it now because it's trending down. But I do think the Chargers are going to be in this one to the very end. That key number, if you can get that extra hook, they're always critical. And then a couple of college games. I know you have a strong inkling on Colorado, Utah. This is going to be an under game for me. You know, there's a lot of rumblings. It's, it's a quarterback injury game. I don't think Shadur Sanders is going to play for Colorado. And honestly, what's the point? Yeah. You want him to go out there and get killed? 
against a Utah D that's just going to pressure and hit the quarterback, you know, rep after rep mm-hmm. after rep. And now Utah's got some issues. We know Cam Rising's not going to play this year. It sounds like Utah is going to be on quarterback number four. Utah, as you know, is not a very explosive offense to begin with. And if Colorado's on the backup, well, they don't really have a backup because nobody wanted to transfer there because they knew they'd sit behind the kids. Sure. You know, Deion's kid was always going to play. So, you know, this might be a Big Ten type game. I think even at 49, this is a good total under without Colorado or without Shadur Sanders. If he doesn't play, and if he does play, man, he's hurt. He's banged up. He's got a a head injury. He's got a foot injury. They're not going to move the ball against Utah, and Utah is going to be fine just running it and going home. I like under 49. Last one for you, Sam. Speaking of the Big Ten, it is the game tomorrow, 11 o'clock kickoff, Ohio State at Michigan, two versus three. No Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines. What are your thoughts about that one? This will be uh, sort of a play that I don't think a lot of people are going to like because I think it's very easy to look at these two and go, oh, I like the under. And look, the under is is very possible. Obviously, it's a 50-50 shot. But I look at the last few meetings, man, we get points when these two teams get together. And I know their defenses are good, and you could argue Michigan's defense is great, but I don't, I don't think Michigan's played a good offense yet. Last four meetings between these two teams, 45-23, 42-27, 56-27, 62 Now, what happened in 2018 doesn't affect what happens today. But this is the best offense that Michigan's defense will see, and it works the other way. This is the best offense that Ohio State's defense will see. I think at 46-and-a-half, it's moving up to 47. I would bet it before it gets to 47 because that's a very key number in total. You know, 27-20, 24-23, those are common final scores. At 46 or 46-and-a-half, I would bet the over. Beautiful. Great stuff, Sam. I appreciate it. Thanks for hopping on, man. We'll, uh, I'll see you when we do overtime again in a couple weeks, my friend. Yes, you will. Hey, enjoy that post-show nap. I know you need it. Thanks, man. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it. Sam Panionovich, again, you can check him out. He's the uh, betting expert over at Nesson. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at SPShoot on X. Uh, good follow if you enjoy playing the uh, gambling games, if you will. 312-332-3776. I'm Jeff Meller, hanging out with you in for Carmen Yerk today. All right, we do. I do want to share with you what Luke Getze had to say. He had his press conference earlier this morning. We'll bring that for you in the 1 o'clock hour. Up next, though, a uh, couple of thoughts on the Bears. And again, what should they be doing with Justin Fields right now? How are you evaluating these next six games? Have you come to terms with just how critical they could be? I'll share my thoughts with you coming up next. Working from home? We're back in the office. Don't miss a minute of Carmen and Yurko. Just ask your smart speaker to play ESPN 1000. hanging out with you on Black Friday and for Carmen York today. Boys will be back on Monday to get you set for the Bears and Vikings in Minnesota. We will have all your pregame coverage. We are your home of the Bears, ESPN Chicago. Don't forget you can always check us out on the ESPN Chicago app as well. If you're in the Chicagoland area, listen to the Bears. If you're looking for a way to listen, you can always use that app. So, Great way to listen if you're walking out and about. Throw those earbuds in, and uh, Monday night you will have Bears and Vikings 
in your ear holes. I'm, again, I'm Jeff Meller in for Carmen York today. And again, uh, in the one o'clock hour, Courtney Cronin is going to join us at 1.30. I'll share with you some Luke Getze. And of course, if you missed it, the best of Yurko driving the Carmen and Yurko show coming your way. We'll do that right at the top of the hour at one o'clock. I'll let you hear what it sounds like when the good kid grabs the wheel and drives us into euphoria. I don't know. You can pick out your own adjective after you hear it. Uh, I think you will be very, very happy. Uh, all right. So one thing I did want to talk about was the spot that the Bears find themselves in with Justin Fields playing well and the possibility of having the number one overall pick as well. What should they do? Todd McShay was on Ryan Russillo's podcast about a little over a week ago and talked about some of the bad habits that Caleb Williams has been developing. Here's the deal. Like Caleb Williams, if you go back, Patrick Mahomes was, he was very similar. The special plays are so special that you, you, you only see one of them every like decade, maybe 15 years. Mahomes got in horrible habits. Like I remember Mahomes. There, there were some throws where like he, he gets the ball in the shotgun and he's like this, right? And instead of like just, like I'm talking Pop Warner, like, you know, young kid stuff. Like get your feet perpendicular to the offensive line, step to the where you're throwing the ball, follow through, like easy stuff. He was just getting the ball and like like 50 yards down the field when he had all the time in the world. He would bail out of the pocket. He would, everything was sloppy. Then he got a year at Kansas City and sat behind Alex Smith and had Andy as his his head coach and and a, a quarterback developer and had one year to sit and learn, got everything kind of fixed up. And he still has the special plays but he got rid of all those bad habits that he had at Texas Tech. I see the same exact things from Caleb Williams. You can't coach some of the stuff that Caleb does. I just want, like, the touchdown drive in the, the last game that they lost, they've lost four out of the last five games. He's, everything is hero ball now, right? But you, there were two plays on that first scoring drive where it's like, find me somebody else that can do that that's in college. Find me somebody else in the last seven years that can do that that's in college. I, that's why, to me, like he's going to have the highest grade that I've given, and I was too low on, on Mahomes coming out because of all the stuff I just said, and I was worried that he had too many bad habits. I was worried that he just didn't know how to play within a system, but then found out that how intelligent he was and how, how capable he was of picking all this stuff up. Interesting. So it's so a pretty wholehearted defense of Caleb Williams if you end up having the number one overall pick. He didn't say the G word, the old generational tag, which I appreciate because I, I heard – Shay and Pat, the designer, talking about that this morning. That does get thrown around a little bit too loosely. The last generational talent we had, Trevor Lawrence, he's a good quarterback. We're still waiting for him to prove he is generational. So I'm glad that Todd McShay held back from throwing that around. But he gave you some context as to why he thinks he could be very special, which is the conundrum that Ryan Poles or whomever will be making the selection for the Bears will have at hand come this next offseason. 312-332-3776. If you want to hop on, talk some Bears with me again, Courtney Cronin is going to hop on with us at 1.30. And then I want to play for you what it sounds like when the good kid, John Yurkovich, drives the show. I've got a montage of the best of Yurko from Wednesday up next in two short minutes.